Hi, welcome to another edition of the Free from Corporate America radio show. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about making fun of business plans, venture capital, and multi-level marketing. And this is a chapter that touches on a few topics that are hot-button topics, and I have heard from uh, some people by email. I actually got a call this week from someone who wanted to get me involved in a multi-level marketing uh, operation that he's trying to build. Uh, so, a couple of things about this chapter. One is that I address venture capital business plans and MLM in one chapter because they are they're all topics that come up a lot whenever you think about entrepreneurial business. And so, I felt like I did need to address them in the context of my book. And like a lot of things in my book, for example, the concept of home ownership or 401ks. Uh, I find myself being pretty critical of ideas that aren't necessarily bad. I'm ultimately not, you know, a massive critic of home ownership. It's more just the way that people tend to close their eyes and think that that's going to solve a lot of their financial issues. So the same is probably true of business plans and to some degree venture capital. So let me start by basically um, taking the concept of these three that I'm the most skeptical about. Oh, and there is a fourth in this chapter, which is franchising. So uh, I'll start with the thing I'm most skeptical about, which is multi-level marketing. Now, uh, multi-level marketing organizations, it's kind of a broad umbrella because some are basically illegal pyramid schemes. Others are organizations on the more legitimate side. A company called Avon has a bit of a multi-level marketing structure. My feeling about multi-level marketing is that you can sometimes get some good sales training from these things. A huge warning thing is anything you have to buy into on the multi-level marketing side from the get-go. If you have to buy a bunch of materials and stuff, for example, if you sign up with Avon, they're not going to charge you anything. Uh, so you can basically just get going with Avon without paying into the system. So anything legit that doesn't require you to pay in uh, perhaps there's some real good sales training there. Of course, I'm not a huge fan of any sales structure that's bent on uh, trying to get all your friends and family signed up. I just think that's pretty cheesy. And I know I don't need to hear from my friends about their various pyramid schemes they're trying to operate. So, you know, I, I don't think a lot of friends appreciate getting the sales pitch over the dinner table. So I've never really been a fan of businesses that fundamentally operated that way. But I do think you can learn a bit about sales and marketing from a multi-level marketing scenario. And perhaps there are a few that are legit. My one thing about it is like anything that feels like a cult uh, is something to look out for. I remember not too long after graduating from college, I ran into this guy from Primerica. I don't even know if Primerica is still around. I think Citibank bought it for some crazy reason. Anyway, I eventually started calling it Primera Cult. But this really weird dude... Uh, I called his flyer because I was excited about making money, and uh, the jobs I was working after with graduating from college were pretty crappy, and uh, even the jobs I liked teaching, I was making terrible money, and so I sat down with this guy, and he, he's kind of a creepy guy, but he had all these materials, primary cult materials, and on the one hand, I really enjoyed learning about the investment advice, but I didn't like the way... To sell, to give the advice, I then had to offer these specific 
products that I just wasn't comfortable offering. And so I remember sitting down with this guy and just feeling like I wasn't sophisticated enough as a business person to realize that when you feel creepy, you just have to get out. So I think I flirted with it longer than I should have. And that was kind of an early misstep in my business career. But it taught me a bit about you can learn from some of these programs. Some of them have good material, but they're usually as a bent. And whenever it starts feeling a bit like a cult, um, or if it's something that's hard to explain. Like I got an email from this clown the other day who was involved in multi-level marketing. And I knew it was trouble because when he sent me an email, he was kind of vague. Like he called me about business opportunities and followed up with this email his company was expanding and all this stuff. And you realize he couldn't really be upfront about what he was doing. And so whenever you get someone like that who's like uh, holding out on you a little bit with what they're trying to do and kind of trying to draw you in and went to his website and there was no information but a video that you had to watch, like you couldn't get any info without watching the video, that's a way of kind of manipulating and controlling to try to get a very particular message out. And the reason they do that is because they know people are going to scream and run in the other direction if they get the wrong idea. So the web, of course, is a fundamentally useful place as far as testing out some of these schemes and finding out who else has been suckered by them. So you can run these companies through Google now, and that's a real advantage over in the past with some of these companies where you would have to you work it out for you trying to research some of them. But um Anyhow, so with multi-level marketing, I just think sometimes the sales training is good, but beware of the upfront cost. And and in many ways, you'll find from the book that you know when you finally get your hands on it when I'm done with it, or just reading the chapters, the draft chapters online here, that I'm more a fan of creating concepts and and then implementing them than I am taking someone else's cookie cutter concept. But if you're going to go the cookie cutter route. I think a more interesting option than multi-level marketing is franchising. Now, the downside to franchises is that, generally speaking, you do have to buy into a franchise. And so a lot of times, it's not super affordable to get involved with franchising. But there's all kinds of franchises, and some are cheaper than others to get into, and some are more legit than others. You may even find in some cases, depending on your location, that your local bank will even uh, provide you a little bit of help with funding if they feel a confidence factor in a franchise. The cool thing about franchises is that franchises represent a proven out-of-the-box business model, which is something I emphasize a lot in my book, which is can you develop ideas that eventually could be run with very little involvement from you if needed. And so franchises have really perfected that aspect of business. And so there's a lot to be learned from thinking as a franchise. Like even though like for for myself, for example, like if I ever launched a business, I'd be very, very reluctant to franchise it. I mean, I think I say in the in the chapter somewhere that like I would never like want to do like a John Reed's beef stew for the soul series or something. Uh so like for me like this book is a one of a kind thing and I wouldn't position it any other way. But you know, the chicken soup folks made money hand over fist by positioning themselves in a way that they could be franchised. And so it's important to learn about how to think like a franchiser thinks. And the beauty of franchising is you can often get a lot of training uh connected to running the franchise and they can have a lot of business support. So it can be a neat way of getting involved in in business and I do think learning whether or not we ever seriously consider a franchise option, the mentality behind franchising 
I think it's very appealing to understand understand the business philosophy behind it is very useful no matter what we're trying to do in business, whether we're working for a big company or anything else. Just understanding how franchises succeed is, uh, I think, a valuable part of anyone's business education. So, you know, if we're looking, comparing multi-level marketing and franchise options, I'm, I tend to be like much more of a fan of the franchise option uh, than multi-level marketing if it comes down to a choice between them. Like I said, I think multi-level marketing uh, kind of fees some people who don't have a lot of money to get started with their businesses and they're kind of vulnerable to anything to get out of their current situation. So you see these flyers for, you know, get rich out of your home or make all this money a certain number of hours a week and you call the number, blah, 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 pretty soon you're joining a cult. So uh, I think there are other ways of getting started in business without having a lot of money. And I, I write about that a fair amount in my book, so I don't think we have to be scraping the bottom of our opportunities to the point that we ever have to really look at multi-level marketing as the way forward for ourselves. So, Which brings us to the topic of venture capital. And I think there's a lot of sex appeal around the idea of venture capital. And I have personally been involved in situations where I have seen the inner workings of venture-funded ideas. And uh, as a result of that, I have really become very skeptical about venture capital. Now, it's important to realize that one of the reasons I'm critical of venture capital in this particular book is that when you get involved with venture capital, you're basically looking at scenarios where you're probably going to take your company public someday if at least that would be one ideal end result, or you want to capitalize on a in a broad way with your marketplace. Venture capitalists aren't really interested, for the most part, in smaller ideas. They want to hit the market big or at least position something to be acquired and get a big return on their investment. And the reason that venture capital gets a tough road in my book is that my book's really dedicated towards what I call lifestyle entrepreneurship. And you can look at that uh, in one of the earlier chapters in the book. But basically, I'm trying to talk about business and talk about being successful in business in a way that allows us a lot of ownership and control over what we do. And venture capital really takes that away from you because as people invest in your business in a VC scenario, they gain a lot of control and input, and suddenly you can find yourself in positions where you don't even control the company that was funding you. And I have seen people go through that, where they had passion for an idea, took seed money at certain points, and eventually lost control or became minority owners and lost their voice on the board and got replaced, and all kinds of things can happen. So I'm not saying that there's not some scenarios where you really need venture capital. I think there's certain business ideas where you really need that kind of push in order to go big. And if that's your goal, that's fine. But going big in that way is not really part of what I'm trying to write about in this book. I think there are other books that do that a lot better. So, you know, this book isn't really dedicated towards what I call Bill Gates entrepreneurs that are looking to build that next big thing. And in those situations, sometimes venture capital is very valuable, though there are other ways of of pursuing funding and loans are always an option also. So, you know, with loans, you can look at situations where you're not giving up the same kind of control over your operation that you might in a VC scenario. But it really depends, and I'm not ruling it out for everyone, but I'm just trying to basically take venture capital and put it in the context of these books' themes so that you can kind of understand as you're reading it, okay, how does this fit in? Because it is an obvious topic that you can't really run away from if you're writing a book 
that ties into entrepreneurial success. So I guess what I wanted to get at is that I think this book is really about trying to find a certain kind of success that you could call it success with integrity, but I think it's really more just this feeling of success on your own terms, uh, success in a way that really fits into your life and your values. And the problem I see with venture capital is not so much, oh, I, I can never make money if I go that route, but it's more about the loss of creative control and the phenomenon that sometimes when things get too big too soon, they kind of turn on you and become a lot less than what you thought they would be. And I remember working at a firm that was going through a venture capital scenario and being you know, offered a job in the new venture and really having a turning point where I could have moved to New York and been a part of this thing. And something inside me kind of told me that it just felt kind of corrupt, even though there was a lot of sex appeal around it. And the idea was you'd get stock options and you could be a millionaire. And, you know, I knew some dot-com people who had cashed out and maybe this could be my, my time. And especially in that heady market of the late 90s, it was really hard to walk away from something like that on a certain level. But you know what? On another level, it was really easy to walk away. And it really made me feel clear at that point that I needed to invent my own kind of success and create my own market niche in the world that was not something I had to sell out to someone else. And, you know, I will say that I will never regret that choice. Uh, There are definitely times where you realize that when you pursue your own path, you can take lessons that are maybe tough lessons at certain points and it's not always the easiest path but the end result when you get those moments of success you know like I have these checks on the wall in my office at different times where I got these key checks for services that had kind of come out of my head and out of my imagination and that to me is the essence of why entrepreneurial business is fun and why there is this value in trying to create things that you can then own and control, or even if it's as simple as buying something locally, owning a local business that you then own and control, and the satisfaction you can get from that, and then the income coming in. And There's really no substitute for being able to control your lifestyle, and venture capital poses a threat to that. So that's why I have sort of a skeptical eye. So it's really two pieces. One is I'm skeptical of the loss of creative control, and I'm and I'm also just acknowledging that the venture capital route is sort of beyond the scope of what I'm trying to cover in this book. And if that's your thing, then that's a whole other topic to explore. Uh, And it's not necessarily a wrong way to approach business. It's just something that I'm not endorsing here. So that brings us to the last topic, which is business plans. And so I've kind of been approaching these in the order of most skeptical to least skeptical. So business plans is another example of something that I shoot some holes in only to try to get the reader's attention a little bit because I think people spend way, way too much time uh, on the the business plan. And (laughs) I've been involved in generating a lot of business plans over the years, and there are time and place for business plans. But uh, here's a little section from the chapter here. Um, A particularly treacherous area of the business plan is the financial section. Most business plans crunch numbers until they come out right. You have to hold your nose from the stench of these overinflated fantasy numbers. Divorcing ideas that aren't financially viable takes ruthless honesty. Most people rework their numbers until their ideas look good rather than trash your ideas. And then I go a little bit further down and talk about some of these business plans sounded sounded so good on paper they should have been mounted in a frame, but now they line gerbil cages. And so 
<laughs> I don't have a lot of good things to say about wasting a lot of time on elaborate business plans. Now, there is a time and a place for business plans because obviously sometimes in order to get funding, and that includes like getting your uncle to give you a grand to start out, they want to see something in writing. So, And I also think that writing a business plan can be a great education in business as you're putting it together. But I guess what I really wanted to emphasize in this chapter is just that I think when you get into a point in life where you're spending so much time in the theory world of writing plans, crunching numbers, hypothetical numbers, so much time in that more academic approach, you're not getting the business skills that you can only get by putting your ideas into action and exploring something that I call the feedback loop. And you can check out the Internet Changes Everything chapter for more on the feedback loop. But uh, you know, so I think the problem with the business plan mentality, so to speak, is I remember when I was more in that mentality, and it was more recently after college, where I had spent a lot of time stocking my mind with theories on whether it was politics or organizational theory or business theory or whatever, and I was entranced by the perfection of some of my theories. And of course, my theories smacked into life, and and my theories were never strong enough to get me through the challenges that life posed for me. Now, some of those theories interacting with the daily lessons of life became proven, tested theories that were really valuable. So I'm not anti-theory, and I'm not anti-learning, and I'm not anti-educate yourself. But if you lean too much on the side of, oh, I'm always planning, I'm always writing about what I'm going to do, I'm always envisioning what I'm going to do, you don't do it. And so... My point about business plans is not that they don't have a time and a place, because they definitely do, but I'm just trying to caution against that thinking, because especially in the Internet age, there's plenty of opportunities to test the waters on business concepts and see what kind of feedback you get. And I think I've already done a podcast on the Internet Changes Everything chapter where I talk more about that, but I'll continue to talk about the feedback loop. But basically... The problem with business plans is a lot of times you're talking about markets you've never explored. Like I know someone who was working on one around a patent idea they had, and they didn't know anything about patents. And The bottom line is that for not much cost at all, you can start getting up a website on a particular topic or product or service and begin the process of interacting with people who may be interested with customers, potential customers, uh, industry players, or just casual visitors and start getting feedback from them. And it's by measuring that feedback loop that you get a sense of which ideas and business concepts are most compelling. And that allows you to make adjustments on the fly. And then as you gradually make more money and gradually see the areas where you can attract clients and business, you can invest more in that. And then that's the cycle of, you might call it continuous improvement. It's a cycle of business evolution. It's how you invest in the areas where the greatest return is, and there's ways of tipping your toes in the water a little bit, keeping your current job, doing what we need to do with that, but basically beginning to expand your reach in the market in different ways. And I would argue that putting up a modest website, for example, and starting to market that might be a much better use of your time than than, than slaving over a business plan for a long time. So it does depend a little bit on what your end goal is, but just wanted to throw a little bit of caution to the business plan concept Think of those durable cages and all the plans I saw that that now line them. And just remember that uh, in the end, it's about going out there and doing. And 
so many times I crunched numbers for these plans and met in front of investors and sometimes you got money, sometimes you didn't, but the whole process, a lot of times you wrote up business plans and you never presented them to anyone and the numbers were hypothetical and they didn't engage and you didn't know what your real costs were because you weren't actually doing it. And I'm starting to get a real handle on my costs in business because I've been doing it for so long and I crunch my numbers all the time as I go. And so the real success in business comes not from only focusing on your day-to-day, but it's the integration of theory and practice. So one neat way of working on business plans or goals is to do them throughout the process of working your business, whether it's once or twice a year or quarterly strategy sessions or evaluations of that kind, I think are enormously helpful. As long as we understand that in the end, the market has the final say, and the more we can be interacting with the market and the sooner that we're interacting with the market, the better off we're going to be. Uh, now, there are some things that we can be really passionate about that are never going to be marketable, and I write a lot about that in this book also, and not everything is appropriate to pursue in a business context, and that's part of what you can find out and get some hard lessons on, and I think sometimes it's better to just jump in the deep water and find that out than it is to slave over a hypothetical plan. So, with that in mind, I think that gives uh, a lot of good context for the themes in this particular chapter and all the different emails and comments I've been getting about them. So I hope that these podcasts are helpful as far as framing a little more of the background in these chapters. And if you are enjoying this material, I think you're really going to enjoy the the finished book that I'm working on. And I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be out yet, but uh, it's been rewritten about five times since the material you've read online here. So it's really starting to come together as a result of the feedback. And if you want to email me, you can do that right off the website. Just click on the contact section, and I do look forward to hearing from you. So I'm going to put a wrap on Free From Corporate America Radio for tonight. Uh, But thanks for joining me for this podcast.